Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Next up on our event schedule is the Planet Microcap Showcase Virtual on December 6th through 8th, 2022. On day one of the event, we'll be hosting the first ever Stock Pitch World Cup, six global areas, six moderators, 24 total stock pitches. Joining us to moderate each special session is Maj Don representing the USA, Paul Andriola representing Canada, Fadi Diab representing Australia, Jason Hirschman representing Europe, and Kelvin Sito representing Asia. The only way to see the Stock Pitch World Cup is by registering now. And then on day two and three will be presentations from microcap management teams as well as one-on-one meetings. Attendance for both events are complimentary for investors. This is both a virtual and our upcoming event in Vegas, which is April 25 to 27, 2023. Registration is now open for our virtual event. So to join us, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Andrew Martin and Nick Peters, CEO and CIO of Fairlight Capital LLC. Fairlight Capital LLC is an alternative investment manager with exposure to small microcap stocks that I've actually been following for a while, and this is long overdue to have both Andrew and Nick on the show. They recently published their Q3 2022 investor letter, so I wanted to dive into a bunch of topics that they brought up in there the value they found in U.S. community banks, the LDI pension crisis, outlook for the remainder of 2022, plus their investing strategy and research process, where we talk about their investment in RCI hospitality. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 247 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Andrew Martin and Nick Peters. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSets. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. 
Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having us, Robert. Definitely enjoy this. Yeah, it's awesome to have you guys on here. Look, I've been following you guys for a while. You know, I love that you have on your website, you're an alternative investment company, but come on, man, you got micro cap exposure. That's just another way of saying it, right? I mean, come on now. <laughs> um, but but in all seriousness, you know, I really appreciate all the work that you guys do out there and uh, I'm excited to have you on. So, Yeah, yeah, we, we put that up there. We do... We don't do strictly microcaps, but I would say that's like 80, 90% of where we tend to fall into our microcaps once in a while. Something a little bit more liquid catches our eyes. But um, yeah, we specialize in the smaller, the better. The more liquid, the better. Well, <laughs> that's great. Hey, same here, man. Let's get weird then. So we're, we're, let, let's start off with where this passion begins. So, I mean, uh, Nick, you kind of got to start it off there. So where, where did your passion for uh, microcap investing begin? Uh, believe it or not, the first investment book I read was in Iraq. Um, it was the intelligent investor, a uh, fellow uh, man in my uh, squad. He had it. I mean, nothing to do. He had that book sitting there. So it's like, hey, let me read this. Um, and that was right before I went back to university. And while there, I was an econ major and that, that book kind of stuck with me. So I kind of went into the finance track after that. Um, then did grad school in finance. Um, and during that year, kind of got the Warren Buffett bug, which I think, you know, a lot of people have had um, and probably learned, I would say, more or just as much of investing um, from reading books on Warren Buffett as it maybe I did in the finance classes, um, at least more that ended up I put into practice. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, that kind of stuck with me, came, you know, read, obviously, like everybody read Snowball, read other books on um, Buffett um, and, you know, read The Intelligent Investor and then kind of, you know, went into the microcap space after that. Uh, just, you know, that's where, you know, the uh, highest returns, you know, historically have been shown to be. So that was it, you know, read all of Warren's, uh, you know, the Buffett partnership letters, you know, and, talking about him and then you know the crazy returns he generated when he was a younger man and dabbling in this area so said uh you know i want to see if i could do it you know see if we could do it there and um see if that possibility still existed which it's still i mean i think it still does you know I hear a lot of people, you know, either on Twitter or other podcasts say, you know, uh, Warren, he had it so good, no competition, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, he had different advantages, but I think today, microcap investors, we have other advantages that he didn't have. So you got to take the good with the bad. Um, and I do know, I mean, it's not just us, there are other fellow microcap investors who do very well. Um, 
and you got to adapt to the times. You know, he had the ability, you know, he had to go plow through old dusty basements sometimes to find financial statements, you know, get pieces of paper. I mean, the information was harder to come by. Um, but today, I mean, information is a little bit easier to come by, but sometimes, you know, I know there's stocks where there's probably two people reading the footnotes, you know, that's, and I probably know who those two people are, For are, sure. you know, they're not clicking that extra link to go and, you know, do it. I don't know why it, it doesn't happen, but, um, you know, it, that stuff still exists. Um, or, you know, I mean, so it's still there. Uh, and I think it can still, um, great returns can be had in the microcap space. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I just love doing it. Uh, everything about it. You know, I love, you know, there's a little bit of a rush when you find that thing and you're like, Holy crap, this really exists. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know? Uh, and you know, and then you get to go buy it. Um, and you meet great people in this space. I mean, that's one thing I'll say. Um, you know, some of, you know, my best friends I met, you know, through Twitter and, uh, microcap investing it's a it's a much different world today uh and it's generally a great community to be a part of uh you learn a lot you know it's more i think you receive more than you give i feel like with this community um mm -hmm. you know you kind of always feel like you want to keep that you know your secrets a secret but um you know the main secret is if you're passionate about it or not if you're passionate about it you know, you, you'll do well and, you know, helping other people out, they usually pay it back to you. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great place, right? The, everything you just said, I couldn't agree with more. And by the way, Nick, thank you for your service, man. I really, that, yeah, that, yeah, that, that's awesome. awesome. I, I didn't know, I didn't know you were a veteran. So that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's Andrew, uh, absolutely. So, so Andrew, same question, you know, where, where did your passion for microcap investing begin? You know, a similar path, read the books, like oh I bet you know maybe I'll go downstream and see where the other greats uh, made their made their killing. Yeah, a little bit like that. Yeah, I guess I, I started off at the very beginning in a different place. I did a PhD in astrophysics, which doesn't really directly relate to any of this stuff, but I guess it gives you the analytics and the numerical side of things. But yeah, similarly, I read uh, you know Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett, and I think um, I think it was Bill Ackman who said that you're either struck by an epiphany moment or you're not when you read those. You realize this is this makes sense. This is how you should be investing, looking at the value of companies. It just all makes sense. Um, and so yeah i kind of went down yeah a similar a parallel path i guess to nick um and then yeah i sort of fell out a few years ago and i brought you know nick on board and met him as you know he was working as an analyst at first um and then we um we set up the Fairlight Alpha Fund in March. So Nick had built up this really great track record. Um, you know, using you know, it's not just value, I guess, is one part to point out that we'll, you know, we'll talk about it a bit more sort of through this. That it's it's more of an extension of that that you know Buffett himself and other value investors have kind of extended to become more GARP, growth at a reasonable price kind of investors where you you want to be greedy and get the value, the growth and the quality elements of the business so that you know you've got a growing business that's good value uh as well as having quality elements and it may have a, a unique product the business that you're looking at or it may have a net, your network effect um those kinds of things so yeah and so we you know we started the fund and we've been going for like three and a half years now um so yeah it's just kind of grown from there we've kind of been growing organically like nick says you know reaching out to people in the, the community from the investing side and then you know looking to investors and building organically as we've gone along so yeah and that brings us to today i guess 
Very good. Yeah, no, look, we have a lot to cover today because you guys actually just came out with your, uh, your. well, this is going to be, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday, the 18th. This is going to be coming out on the on on the 20th of October. And you guys, you guys just came out with your Q3 2022 letter. So we got a lot to cover even before we get to that. But, you know, for, from there, let's dig into the nitty gritty, talking about the Fairlight's investment process and your philosophy. So, Andrew, coming right back to you, can you give us that that overview of the philosophy for the firm and then your process for potentially finding new quality investments. Ideal, yeah. Ideally quality investments, of course. <laughs> yeah, right. that's what we aim for, yeah. I'll give you the high level view then Nick's very you know, good. He'll be able to dive into the details of the process. But yeah, it's kind of, as I was saying, it's um, we look for stocks that kind of have all of those elements of quality, growth and value. Um, and you, you basically want all of those things at, at the same time. So, you know, looking at various metrics of value, so whether it's free cash flow multiples or PE multiples, you know, looking at stocks that are cheap on that basis. Um, and again, looking in industries, we're kind of sector and geography agnostic. So we kind of try to be nimble. And we've, you know, we started off looking in the United States in 2019 and that became more expensive. So we ended up going more towards Southeast Asia and how that started to reverse, you know, we're partway through that process. We don't know how far through that process we are, but the U.S. has become you know cheaper. So we're starting to find some, you know, better ideas again in, in the United States as well. Um, but yeah, then combining that with, you know, a lot of research that, you know, Nick does in terms of diving into the companies themselves, what their business lines are like, what, you know, what drives their, their growth and their earnings and, you know, what is their kind of, <clears throat> pardon me, their kind of competitive, uh, landscape, you know, do they have like a unique position or are they uniquely positioned in some way or have some kind of network effect that gives you the reason why their growth and their earnings are, you know, performing so well. Um, and, I guess one way to sort of look at it is to look at some of the case studies, you know, some of the examples of this kind of stock that we found. So I guess we, myself and Nick, we often talk about, you know, what does an ideal investment look for like for us? And often in the US, you find stocks that, you know, maybe their price is below a dollar, you know, they're a low market cap. So yeah, a micro cap or, you know, smaller, and we're kind of pushing the liquidity envelope of what we do. Um, you know, we try and manage that on the investor side as well. Um, and again, a company that's got good growth, healthy balance sheet, um, and then, yeah, these kind of network effects where it's going to be difficult to compete with them. That's kind of, we try and just get all of those things in one go. And um, yeah, and then let the thesis play out, really. Very good. Nick? Yeah. It, you know, I think for us, it's kind of, um, you know, we, I, I think one of our, you know, what we do differently is we literally go through, you know, when we go to a market, um, we go from stock A through Z. Um, Typically, sort them a little bit differently than that, but we cover every one. Uh, and, you know, we've done that now in certain markets several times. So we can do it a little bit more efficiently. Like I know, for instance, the first time I went through all the stocks on the OTC market, literally every single one. And this was back when you had like a lot of non-reporting. And um, I mean, it took, I mean, I don't even know how many months or whatever. I mean, it was a lot of Saturdays, a lot of just got time, go in there, go through them. Um, and, it, you know, you go through that. It's kind of an iterative process. You go through, um, you get a list of like 500. Um, then you go down, you go through it again, and you go through it again. And, um, you know, it, it really never ends. Um, it's, you know, that's where I say like, I mean, either you're passionate about it or you're not. I mean, if you're not passionate about it, it's going to be like worse than watching paint dry. You know, it just, you 
yeah, I don't know, for whatever reason, some people like looking at the financial statements, like clicking through different companies, uh, different websites. I mean, trying to put the story together. And what's interesting, I think about um, like microcaps is often there is no, you know, that story's not there. Like, I mean, say you're going to invest in Apple. I mean, you can go get an analyst report. You can probably find some real in-depth blog and the story can be put together for you. Um, if you're investing in a company with a $20 million market cap, you know, you're lucky if you find a blog and that blog might be just, you know, it's some summary statistics. Um, so you got to go do all the work and put it together, um, which, you know, either I guess you, you like that or you don't because you run into a lot of dead ends, but you find some very interesting things, too. Um, so, I, you know, I think that's what makes Minecraft so interesting is, you know, it, it's uh it's challenging, you know, and all the horror stories you hear about microcaps, they're all true. Like, I mean, I guess there's got to be sharks in the water to keep the swimmers out. Um, so it can be dangerous. It can be frustrating. It can be all those things. But, you know, uh, and liquidity is a huge, you know, factor you got to deal with. Uh, but, it, I mean, it's, you know, if you enjoy those challenges, you know, it's a never-ending it's just a never ending sea of challenges. So, so Nick, when, when, when you're digging through and doing all this research and, and trying to figure out like, okay, which rabbit hole do I want to go down? What are some of the things that stand out to you when you're going through some of the financial statements, you're putting the story together, you know, what, what sticks out to you? I, I, well, yeah, I, there's no real, I guess one thing, what I think is at, when you do it a lot, you kind of get a pattern recognition of like, sometimes it's really weird. You'll find, you know, oh, like this is really interesting. Like, um, usually, you know, I'm always looking for, you know, valuation metrics, whether, you know, price to book, price to cash flow, price to earnings. Um, like I always say, like, I mean, give me, you know, the income statement, balance sheet and cash flow statement and the price and, you know, give me like a minute to decide. I mean, it's just when you do a lot of stocks, that's what you're doing. You just keep constantly getting these pitches and you look at it and you pass. Um, and, you know, sometimes you'll scroll through looking for a quick footnote. Um, and sometimes you find a quick footnote or you don't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're looking, you're, you're kind of just looking at that. I mean, okay, so you look at the balance sheet, they have a lot of debt, they're losing money. All right, I'm not interesting, unless maybe they got this asset that um, is there somehow. And uh, sometimes you find it in a footnote, sometimes you find it on the balance sheet. You know, a good, a, skill for a microcap investor is the ability to um you know warren buffett has the idea of too hard pile to move through that efficiently uh which is like ah i mean this is interesting um but you can waste a, you know a day going down a rabbit hole you shouldn't go down i mean that happens so i mean whatever don't cry about it but um you do it too much time you waste time um so, I mean, being able to discern, is this interesting or is it not interesting? Um, look at that. I mean, I can calculate roughly in my head, you know, what's the return on tangible assets, what's the return on tangible equity, growth, you know, you look for those things. Um, and usually, I mean, like, you don't need to be exact. I mean, if return on tangible equity is 15% and you estimate at 20, like, not until you get into the deep dive, do you need to know that. Um, your growth, you know, I like looking at long trajectories. Um, so I'll pull up, you know, usually, you know, in the filing, you'll get two years, but you can, uh, look, ticker is a great tool. You know, you look through over a longer period, um, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, but, uh, 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of times too, like you look for changes, you know, that is in the micro cap space, very common. Um, there's, you know, uh, and it's not going to be advertised because there's not, you know, like if a change happens in a large or mid cap company, you know, they're going to have press releases. They're going to have investor presentations. They know the lingo. They're going to have IR, you know, who, who can for speak sure. for them. And micro cap, it just kind of happens. So you don't know what's going on, but you're like, eh, well, like, okay, gross margins, you know, we're 60% now are trending up towards 70% or maybe they were 40 gone to 50. And you're like, that's weird. Like what is going on? So, I mean, that tells you something. It doesn't tell you everything, but you know, that might screen to you. Um, maybe they've paid down a lot of debt, you know, it tends to, you see that. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, tell you something, you know, different, their capital allocation strategy maybe is changing. Maybe their business strategy has changed. You know, I mean, this is, this is a million different things. Um, I would say, I mean, the only way to do it, you know, is, you know, just start at A and go through Z and, you know, read a lot of prior business, you know, or investment books, business studies. So you, you see um, what's, you know, worked in the past. For and sure. You can pick up on that. No, absolutely. And that's all great advice. I mean, it, you're right. And you know what? I talk about this with Mosh Swaydon all the time. And every investor that comes on here, you know, they're it, it, at, at the end of the day, you've been doing it long enough. It, been, it eventually becomes pattern recognition, right? Like, you know exactly where to go to, you know what you're seeing and all that. And, you know, um, that that's all very important to continue to put out in the universe for folks to realize is that, hey, you know, there's a bunch of different investors that this is how they do it to build up that pattern recognition in order to find that potential, you know, ideal investment, you know, or. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, that's where you, you got to be passionate about it. I mean, um, yeah. it's got to be a real passion. Like, I mean, if you kind of fake it, you're not going to, I mean, maybe you fall in love with it, but you know, either, you know, you really like doing it or you don't, I mean, that's fine. I mean, you don't got to like everything, <laughs> but, but I, probably weird. But if you do, I mean, mm -hmm. that will sustain you because a lot of it, I mean, it's hours of just clicking and looking at stuff. <laughs> yeah. And especially in microcap, it's a lot of weird. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's yeah. a lot of weird SHIT. I don't know. I'm going to say a lot of weird shit for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I mean, I have a three-year-old, so I'm used to just like spelling out curse words all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you know, one, one part of your process that I really appreciate that I think is something that I think everybody should really be paying attention, especially in microcaps, is when you're looking at a potential market or, or uh, just, you know, a basket of companies within the same sector and really just diving deep into all of them and finding the anomalies. I think that's a really interesting way of doing things. Yeah. You know, so I'd love to learn a little bit more about about that research process and then maybe examples of how certain ideas may have stood out to you when you've been doing that kind of research. So Andrew, you want to take that first, then we'll go to Nick or Nick and then Andrew, who, who wants to go first? Yeah. I mean, again, I can start off then Nick yeah, okay. can, and sort of All dive right. into it, but yeah, I guess, I mean, Nick and I talk a lot, you know, about the, the ideas that, you know, he comes up with when he goes from A to Z, you know, we, we talk about the the ideas. Then, yeah, I don't know, there's a couple of times where literally like the hair stands up on the back of your neck. You're like, this sounds amazing. I And some of the ideas that we've come up and we've spoken to other investors about, you know, they literally say, I can't believe this exists. So we've had this recently. Um, and it's just, yeah, there are some situations where, like Nick says, there's certain, often the, the, the companies that we find, they're going through some kind of change. So, like Nick was saying, the gross profit might be changing or there's some change to the balance sheet or income statement that you spot and you kind of you're trying to spot it really early. 
as early as you can before other people. And sometimes you're spotting it before the real changes kind of occurred. It's, uh, you know, you look through the, the company, you know, description, the annual reports of the previous years, and you realize some change has happened. The company's changed direction maybe two or three years ago, but it's just starting to then show through in the financials. And you start to see this kind of hockey stick or uptick in what's happening with that company. Uh, and then it, in the you know the perfect case that's accelerating so the gross margin keeps going up you know, the profit that feeds through to the profitability and the company is also growing so you start to have a situation where you've got a stock that's a value stock trading at like some kind of ratio six or seven which is already cheap anyway um but then it's got this growth that's maybe not visible yet and then starts powering through and then you you're holding this growth stock at a p of like six or seven or better and um you then it just becomes very obvious very quickly that there's something that has happened to this company everybody starts to see it in the earnings multiples which go to crazy levels sometimes they can dip down to three or four for a brief period of time before people realize something is definitely happening and you know whether it's like a frivolous lawsuit that's gone away or cash injection from the government there's lots of different reasons why these things happen you start to then you know, really see the value come and then that obviously then impacts the price in you know the stock and you, you get these situations where something will double or triple in a period of six to 12 months when the thesis plays out um and then you know you look back and you can see it then becomes obvious that's why that happened there was this it's almost like a special situation then sometimes that something very unusual has just happened to this stock and whether it's internal that the business has changed or an external factor you know it's just great to see that kind of thesis come through and then yeah there's just been a couple of times when Nick and I have talked about positions and then, yeah, it's literally like hair standing up on the back of your neck kind of moment. I hear, I hear that, especially in microcaps. Nick, your, your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I mean, to me, like when you go over and the more stocks you look at, the more, well, the more patterns you recognize, but you also get a more of a sense of valuation of what's cheap and what's not. I mean, I mean, some things are absolutely cheap, like, I mean, four or five times earnings. Um, but you'll get a sense in this market, you know, like, okay, this is cheap and this is cheaper. And, um, and two, I mean, cheapness is one of those things. It's like, it's, I and I have beholder. I mean, I have, you know, a lot of friends and they'll recommend something and I agree that it's cheap, but it's not as cheap to me as other stuff. And, you know, in value investing, there's a lot of different way, you know, things that can be cheap and um, and it's got to fit in the context of, you know, your portfolio and what you can understand. Um, but the more you look at stocks in a uh, market, the more, you know, like, okay, this one's cheap. This is cheaper. Um, this is what I like. Uh, and it's really, I mean, it's a constant process of, you know, always comparing them, um, comparing this to, against that stock. So. For sure. And, and and one last point, too, on this idea of, you know, of doing that comparative analysis within your peer, within its peer group. You know, it's one thing when you have a bunch of a basket within there, but it also makes it easier when it's, you know, oligopic E. I won't say it is an oligop, but oligopic E. You know, I mean, like you guys have put out a ton of research on RCI. I mean, what other adult type entertainment company mm -hmm. Uh, publicly traded out there. You know, I can't think of one off the top of my head, especially in small micro cap. But, um, you know, like that, that's, I, I can understand why you probably were looking deeper at that. I know for probably other reasons as well, but. Yeah. I mean, well, Rick, I, I think it's a good example. I mean, you, you click through it um, and especially, you know, pre COVID, like you could see things going on in the income statement and it really hadn't quite shown through like, you know, um, 
you could see their margins were improving a little bit. You, you know, that's one where too, like you looked at, it wouldn't screen well, but when you kind of look at it, you like, you see like, oh, return on assets, especially return on tangible assets are actually pretty good. Um, you know, at, you know, 27%. So you could see something was going there and you could see like there was this, there's some kind of a mode or barrier to entry or whatever. Um, and then when you do the research, like there's nobody out there who really explains that to you. Like there was nobody um, that, you know, told you about, you know, the barrier to entry because of regulation and licenses. Um, there was no kind of like in a market in, and this goes to like, you could see it happening, but much before the market picked up, like the revenue per club was increasing. So I don't like, you don't know well, what what's going on there. You, you're not sure, but you dig into it and you're like, okay, well, they've changed their strategy a little bit. You know, they've gotten rid of the poor clubs, you know, now they have just the best clubs. Um, and, you know, and the capital allocation strategy, you know, see so all those things, like when you first come across it, you don't know, but if you looked at a lot of stocks, something sticks out and you're like, okay, this requires more uh, investigation. Um, but then, you know, if you read, you know, some of our, um, the research on it, like none of that, like if you were investing in Apple or like Salesforce or, or something like that, like there would be analyst reports that would explain all of these things. Um, but they don't exist, you know, in something like Rick, you know, because it's just, you know, that you don't have Goldman Sachs uh, sell side analyst research in it. So you got to put that together. Um, and, you know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, I mean, the market disagrees with you, especially at first. Um, and, you know, cause you're putting, you know, a lot of things I think with stocks is they get um, every stock. It's like a story that, builds around it you know um and i think like with rick you know the story before was like these are dirty seedy strip clubs like what you would think in the 90s um eric you know the ceo i mean they just like to party etc um and that's the story but then you dig into it and you're like well no wait look look at this like the returns are great the capital allocation strategy is probably one of the best ones you know i've seen small or large um and they're doing these transformational things so, you know, that story, and it takes a long time, especially, I mean, Rick's a little bit bigger of a micro cap for us, but um, to change that story. Um, and I don't know, like there's an anchoring bias, you know, um, I, I remember Buffett talking about this, it. like the price determines the story, right? The story doesn't determine the price or, you know, I guess Soros would call it like a reflexivity. Um but, you know, if Rick all of a sudden went up to 220, the story around the stock would suddenly change, right? If it goes down to 40, the story would change, you know, and those might be completely, you know, I don't, who knows sometimes why prices do what they do. Um, so, you know, our job is to, you know, figure out what that fair value is regardless of the price, you know, and just take the pitches we're given. Of course, absolutely. And look, what, you know, not, no, whether, whatever your opinion is on the business itself, at the end of the day, actually me and me and Andrew were joking offline, how like, you know, for, I, I've been, in, I've interviewed Eric since like 2011, I've been following the company back when it was called Rick's Cabaret, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and, you know, 
for being a public company for as long as it has been. And he, he's, he's been very uniquely suited to be able to answer these questions. I know a lot of, you know, the folks that have been working with him over the years and have helped him as well. And, you know, right. so, so he's had to really train himself in order to kind of answer those tough questions as well. Um, but uh, by the way, just want to make sure we're clear for full disclosure, are you guys, uh, do you guys have it in the fund? Rick's? Yeah. Yeah. We still own it. Um, okay, good. We've owned it for a while. We don't have any plans of selling it at the current price. Um, and gotcha. yeah, got it. Very cool. So I want to I want to actually transition to something else that you guys were talking about, and that's the idea of you know looking for value. You know, we're all I think everybody listening in is always looking for value and something uh, relatively cheap or cheap in the eye of the beholder. And actually, you guys just like I said, you just put out the Q3 uh, 2022 letter and you talk about finding good value in banks in the U.S. Uh, as well as community banks. So, Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about you know what you've been seeing and, and why you brought this up in the letter? Yeah, that, that's probably one of the situations where, um, yeah, we'd been looking in the U.S., as the markets had climbed up and then Southeast Asia looked relatively cheaper than as the markets have corrected. We've found some, you know, better uh, value in the US, but yeah, this is one of those situations where it's almost, again, it's almost a special situation in that um, there's this ESIT program where, you know, a huge amount of money is going to be uh, put into these um, MDIs, minority depository institutions and community development financial institutions um, to boost those economies and those communities. Um, so I think it's a total of $9 billion is going in across a range of different um, organizations and $2 billion set aside for the CDFIs uh, and $2 billion more for um, smaller ones. Um, so it's it's a very unusual situation where the government's, you know, helping out these um, financial institutions and putting a lot of money into them. So they've invested a lot of preferred capital uh, into them, which the banks can then, you know, leverage in the normal way. This, this is treated as tier one capital. They can leverage that um, capital and give out loans to the local communities and bring in deposits from the local communities and grow into bigger banks. And we don't know exactly what's going to ultimately happen with these banks, but they started off at, as very small institutions and could grow into being, you know, over a billion dollars in size. Uh, and the market caps of these, you know, institutions are very small, so they're very interesting from the, you know, from our investor perspective. But also, you know, I, I kind of wanted to bring it to light and just talk about it a bit in the letter as well, just in terms of, you know, it's a re really interesting program. And I think the government's only really just started to kind of shout about it and talk about it. But it seems like a really good program, just in general, you know, forgetting about investments and all, all of that stuff. That this is just a good thing that's happening. I think so. I think I, I was, yeah, wanted to yeah talk about that in the letter. And I think yeah, it's something that a lot of people are going to start to hear about in the news and read about um, as it sort of comes to fruition because this will be a multi-year program. It'll take years for it to kind of come to fruition and you know do all the you know the good stuff that I think it can do. Absolutely, Nick. Your your thoughts on it as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, First of all, I gotta give a little shout out to uh, Dirt Cheap Stocks. He did a write out on it, a write up on it. Um, and I don't think anybody's gonna um, know as much about that program as he does. Um, very sharp investor, and he knows him inside and out. So um, gotta give a shout out to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's you know it's one of these unique situations where um, you know you have the possibility because the, these stocks are small. Um, of large movements, the business is changing rapidly, and I don't even think even after you know um, dirt cheap stocks did his write up. I mean, people kind of are still grasping. I think you know for whatever reason people moved on, discounted it. You know, don't believe it. I mean, whatever it might be. Um, 
but you know, there's more research you can do on them and you're like, okay, like, wow. Like the, um, you know, if you look comments I've heard and seen is, oh, you know, the return on assets was only like 33 bips or something. Um, but it, the, the past doesn't matter. Like in these socks, um, the past is just, it, I'm not saying it's irrelevant. There's things you can learn from their past, such as their risk management, their culture, um, you know, their mission, but the future is going to be dramatically different. Um, and there's evidence out there of that. And it's all, I mean, also not even in their, well, in their financial statements, but also in other programs or parts of um, resources they're getting. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's way different. I think, you know, the program, it, it it's a long-term program. I think the government is tr really trying hard to get capital into certain neighborhoods, um, both, both rural and urban, you know, what they call bank and deserts where deposits, you know, people put their money in a bank and then that bank makes the loans, you know, in a different area. Um, and that really has a detrimental effect on the growth and employment opportunities. And then, you know, just the development of the community all around. So what the government's really trying to do is bring in stable capital. Um, and so, you know, when these banks make loans, those that capital stays in there, and then also they can bring in capital from other places. Uh, so, I think it's a, it's a well thought out program. I don't think the government's really, you know, they're not advertising it. They kind of this is a ten. I mean, it's really you can tell the way it's designed. They're thinking over like thirty years, right? Like they want this to happen. Um, you know, you know, they don't want stupid loans to be made and then the banks fail and loans go bad. I mean, that'll just be completely counterproductive. Um, but you know, there's a 10 year on, that sets the preferred. And then even over time, they want to build these institutions up. So they're solid. They bring a lot of people who may have been getting loans from pawn shops, you know, at 30% or payday lenders um, charging a lot to transfer money. You know, these Banks now they got Zelle, um, so you can go in there. You can re take your money out of pretty much any ATM across the country now because they're part of these larger networks, um, and you know, and then also financial education, uh, and importantly, I mean, making loans, you know, in these communities, and also the banks too. And that's why I say like the past is way different. Like you can't think about the past because everything's changed, and what they really want is they want these banks to have a stable core of earnings. So like, say I, I make a loan in a neighborhood and, and that lender or, you know, has difficulties. If I don't have stable earnings, I got to be really hard on that lender. Now, if I have stable earnings and my ROA say is one and a half percent or somewhere between one and a quarter, 1.75%, I can work with that lender, right? Because I know I've got earnings coming over from my other good loans or like from strong borrowers, you know, say like for citizens, that could be the Atlanta Hawks or this other housing project. Um, and that's what, it, that's the long-term vision of this is, you know, and then to make more and more loans over time and to reinvest that capital, you know, as they grow it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity. Again, I mean, full disclosure, obviously it's in our letter, so we do own it. Um, and, you know, I think it's an interesting case study of microcaps. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, look, uh, yeah, I've done a number of interviews with the, uh, some folks like, you know, Nate Tobik and and quite, yeah. quite, quite a few guys that are, are very focused in banks and know 
way more than they probably forgot stuff that maybe I'm just learning. So, <laughs> so yeah. I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll refer everybody to uh, listen to this and do some follow-up research uh, from everything that Fairlight's also putting out. And then also some of these, uh, definitely I'll, I'll make sure if you guys send me that link for dirt cheap stocks that, that uh, um, from, I, yeah, I, yeah. I know, I know him from Vegas, he, you know, he came to our conference. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. he's a real guy. And yeah, I know him well. He does. I, I don't know if he wants me to say his name. So that's yeah. <laughs> he goes, I <laughs> but shout out to dirt cheap stocks and we'll make sure to get i don't know if that link's public but get, if it is send it over we'll put it in the, the show notes yeah. um so now i want to get to the next topic that's also in the letter um you know like i said i want to try and cover everything we got a lot to talk about still um and that has to do with the ldi pension crisis you know you you may you you say in the letter that the events in the united kingdom may point to what is in store for global markets for the remainder of the year everything that's been going on in the uk in, from this perspective has been covered quite a bit in the FinTwit community. So I think I, I'll, I'll go to our, our local gentleman on, uh, on here right now, Andrew, who I'm assuming is from England as well, with, based on his accent. You know, That's I don't right. want to, I don't want to presume anything. Right. But uh, <laughs> I, I figure I give you the first, first crack at, uh, at this and, and tell us what's going on here. Yeah, no, you're right. I am. Yeah, from England, so maybe, maybe that's why I was kind of yeah biased and put it into, into the letter. But yeah, I I mean I saw this evolving the LDI pension crisis, um, you know, over the last few weeks, and um, it kind of reminded me of some of the things that happened during the you know the global financial crisis. That you know, is this the canary in the coal mine, or is this just you know a one-off event that's specific to the United Kingdom? And um, I just sort of dug into it and just wanted to you know make sure I you know I understood it. And we understood it. Um, yeah, and just to kind of give you a bit of the background, that obviously rates are going up. People have been raising base rates, Fed rates, Fed fund rates been going up. Um, but specifically in the UK, um, there was a change of leader, change of chancellor, and they uh, issued this mini budget, which had a lot of spending and didn't really have a lot of funding for the spending in the mini budget. And so that kind of spooked the markets and the, the guilt. So the UK government bond rates spiked up even more which is partly a function of that. They were going up anyway, which is kind of indicating, I think, that rates are going up even further. Um, and then it just kind of highlighted, I think, one of the ma maybe one of the cracks that can appear as you raise rates very quickly, which has happened um, you know, just recently. If you look at the charts, I think it's one of the fastest periods of rate increases, not the fastest. Um, and you start to think, well, what's going to break in the financial markets? Because you don't know every position an institution holds or their hedging and, you know, the complexities of the financial markets, all the different interrelationships. And this highlighted something that originally yeah, I wasn't aware of, that the way the pension um, schemes for defined uh, benefit, uh, defined benefit schemes are hedged and managed these days. Um, and the way they do it is they have a sort of a, a mixture of different assets, so some risky assets like PE funds, and obviously they have stocks and a mixture of bonds, but they're also performing this hedging, which is liability-driven investment hedging, where they essentially want, which makes sense, that their fixed-term liabilities that they have many years in the future, uh, if those move up or down, they want their assets to move up or down as well. So in increasing rate environment, like we just had, you know, rapidly increasing rates, the future fixed liabilities, the value of those came down. So in theory, the pension funds don't need as many assets now. So they put on hedges originally way back over the last, you know, years, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, the men that their assets went down, but which is fine in itself. But some of those 
uh, positions were derivatives based. So when the value of those went down, you had you had margin calls. So suddenly the pension fund has to deliver some cash to meet the fact that this asset now has gone down in value, which is hedging off something 10, 20 years in the future. Um, and as that happened, some of these uh, pension funds have had to force sell assets, which, you know, again, sounds very scarily like the global financial crisis. And they've had to sell some of their PE investments, stocks, uh, and it's affected a variety of different instruments. Um, and it just struck me, is this, like I was saying, that one of the first things that's going to break in the market or is it just a one-off situation? And there are maybe some parallels in the US. There are similar kinds of schemes in the, in the US, these LDI schemes, which kind of pulled versions of this approach. Um, so yeah, it just kind of struck me that you know it's um, it's maybe something to watch that as rates increase, effects you know the Fed is going to have to increase rates until something breaks. It has to try and control inflation, um, and it's anybody's guess. We don't know any more than anybody else what's going to happen to inflation in the next six, twelve months, two years, three years. Some people think it's going to come back down. Maybe it comes down to a level of six, seven percent, or four percent, and that's kind of the big unknown in the market now. Um, and I, you know, and I think this is kind of we we've track things like this just for our own kind of education and i hope you know the, the kind of interesting interest you know increase in the interest rate environment maybe helps some of our stocks actually in terms of our own portfolio that you know we've got positions where the, the cash flows are more near term they're not as you know growth stocks in the sense of no cash flows now so they do have cash flows but they're growing whereas you know the old you know, meme stocks and growth stocks where all of the cash flows are far in the future they might get you know impacted much more by increasing rates so hopefully we can kind of you know be shielded from some of this in terms of things we invest in but yeah as again it's just something i wanted to call out just in terms of keeping an eye on you know what might happen in the in the future in the markets absolutely you know using that information and kind of this global outlook and everything that's going on right now from you know war in ukraine to you know, inflation, you know, what maybe this whole, who knows if this is just an isolated example of, yeah. uh, you know, maybe things that might not just happen in the US, but maybe in other parts of the, the global community. I mean, how you kind of mentioned, you kind of answered this already, but I mean, how do you, does it change your outlook when you're looking at a potential investment right now? Like, do you, like maybe previously you were thinking maybe one or three years, now is the time to look at some of these. I say, you know, maybe we should look three to five because there might be a little bit more hair coming. Uh, who wants to take that first? Andrew? Yeah, maybe I start off then Nick can kind okay. of yeah, dive into the details. I guess it affects it kind of at the margin. We're very much bottom up. So, you know, we don't start off with this macro picture and then build sure. up the port yeah. based on But it does kind of obviously influence the way you think about things. Um, and so, yeah, it obviously makes you think that, you know, that, you know, near-term term cash flows are good, so we always thought that anyway, so it probably doesn't affect in terms of anything you, you look at from that. But I guess the other aspect to it might be geopolitical as well. So in Southeast Asia, we've been careful as to which markets we kind of go into there as well in terms of, you know, how we think about the region. And Nick's done some, you know, great analysis, uh, kind of almost ending up doing much more kind of macro analysis in Southeast Asia and China, just in terms of what's going on over there and why you find some of these cheap, cheap situations and things that we might want to avoid certain, you know, countries that might want, not want to go go into and like we've kind of ended up being more in Singapore and Hong Kong for example so it kind of at the edges and the margin kind of does impact what you're doing but I think the driver is always from the bottom up but then you know it's always good to keep an eye when things are changing this dramatically you know what is potentially going to happen in the near future very good Nick yeah um boy here's a million things you can think about on this um I don't I mean boy I don't really 
I mean, we're bottoms up, right? So we, you know, I mean, one question we get a lot is like, oh, do you guys like have a theme of like, oh, I'm going to invest in this country and then this sector and then you go find the stock now? I mean, that's like completely opposite of what we do. Um, it's like, give us a thousand, 10,000 stocks, let's shake out, let's see what comes up. And then if that still sticks, you know, and the overall um, macro environment is still, you know, we don't think it's going to destroy us. Um, you know, we'll invest. I don't know. I mean, I would say like, I mean, for me, um, you know, when I look at a lot of these short term things, like I listen to like a lot of podcasts for macro forecasters and macro guys talking. <laughs> and I don't want to be rude to them, but I've never heard people that are wrong so often. Like, you know, a lot of these guys, and I like listening to them because they're super smart people, but they'll be like, oh, I was wrong six months ago. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you got this theory and they walk through it and there's like seven steps. And each one of those things has to be right for their theory to be right. And you're like, okay, even if it's like 70% odds, that's right. Like go through 10 things, like your odds of being wrong are really high. Um, so I think it, you know, it's really hard to predict those things. Um, you know, the framework I use a lot is like, I know uh, Nassim Tlaib talks about like fooled by randomness, you know, and he, he talks, you know, a recent podcast, I listen to him. He's like, you know, we're all worried today about losing our liberty, losing our freedom. Why are we worried about that? Because we have it right. Like, and that makes us cognizant of like, it can go away. And like, these are the situations where things can go bad. But if you look at the trend, the trend has been, I mean, things have gotten extremely better over the last 2000 years or probably even over all of human history. Um, and so I think, you know, for me, like there, I mean, everything has, you know, as a trade-off in life, but I think you go out 30, 40, 50 years, the human race, you know, we'll be better off. I mean, unless of course, I mean, maybe we drop nukes on each other, but my attitude is like, who gives a shit then? Like you might as well be investing in stocks. Like what, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you old dollar bills or gold bars or, um, you know, Microsoft stock, if we nuke each other, it's all off the table. Um, so in that sense, like, you know, you're going to go through the ups and downs of business cycles, geopolitical cycles. Um, but the trend seems to be, you know, upwards and if you look at the longer term trends you stick that out you, you know you don't you know you don't be that you know six foot tall guy who drowns in a you know river that's five foot average depth on average um you, you know you'll make it to the other end and you'll be much wealthier you know in 20 years so i don't know i mean i i probably spend more time thinking about and listening about macroeconomics than i should um I'd probably be just better off, you know, like when I go for a hike to turn those podcasts off and listen to the birds. <laughs> um, I think, you know, it would be, a, you know, when I get turn when I get to be 60 or 70, I'd be like, yeah, I should have just, you know, enjoyed that hike a lot more than thinking about what's going to happen in Ukraine or, you know, is, you know, the British economy going to tank? I mean, whatever, you know, the, the thing of the day might be. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not our specialty. I, I would say we think about it. What we think about a lot is like if we go to a market, how are their laws? Do they have laws that protect, you know, minority shareholder rights or do they not? Um, an instance of a stock, you know, uh, in Singapore, a company had an investment in Vietnam. Um, we did. I, we haven't invested in this company um, and I'm not going to disclose the name, but it owned several other investments. One of them was a company in Vietnam. The founder tried to steal that company. Now, if you had invested directly in Vietnam, you'd been shit out of luck. That you wouldn't have got that back. But the Singapore courts said no. You know, you got to give this 
company back to you know the rightful owners. And so those shareholders who own that company ended up holding the holding company ended up retaining ownership. Um, so there's things like that. And then I've seen other things like in Singapore where another company has tried to buy a company in Africa, but it was money losing. So the Singapore uh, stock exchange said, you can't buy this company. It's not in minority shareholders interests. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the more of the things, you know, we look for, you tend to find those strong shareholder rights in um, markets that have strong influence from the British, you know, where the British had a uh, help set up court systems. Um, and that's, you know, if I'm going to invest in like, you know, a emerging market, it tends to be best to do it through Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, or U.S. companies. Um, I think, you know, a lot of companies are developing. And I think in, you know, 10, 15 years, things will change that. But I mean, that's, you know, more important is this long term trends um, than short term fluctuations. Absolutely. That was, that was great, man. I, I just I wanted to let you just cook. That was good. That was uh, you're, yeah. you're doing, um, doing no, your thing right there. Well, yeah, I mean, I think about it because like, I don't know, I personally like, I, you know, I think like, here's an example, like Doomberg, like I love Doomberg's analysis. These guys are super smart, but I had to quote following them on Twitter. I mean, I'm just like, you guys are making me nuts. Like, I love the emails I get to my inbox and it's super smart. But if you read them every day on Twitter, you're like, dude, I might as well go back and like, just shoot myself like this world's and they have good points good analysis but i think and some of those things will happen but it won't be the end of the world right humans can adapt we can survive things i know sometimes as americans i think like our generations a lot of us haven't gone through like you know what generations before like you know world war ii and the civil war before that and like the great depression like but i think it's it still it's there like if bad things happen we can still like adapt and we can still um, you know, it's not going to ruin us. Um, for sure. So, it, yeah. No, finish your thought there. Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think there's, it's good to think about geopolitical things, but I'll be honest, like, I don't think long-term, like it's good for your financial health. For sure. And look, you know, you're, you're hundred percent right. Especially, I mean, going back to even my first interview on here, you know, I think every micro cap investor will say, look, it's a, it's good to know what's going on from a macro perspective, but at the end of the day, like do your best to try and tune out the noise, you know, like it's yeah. good to know. I'm not here to tell you like, you know, don't, you know, watch the news or, you know, if you get your news from Twitter kind of seeing, you know, some of your favorites there. Um, but at the end of the day, especially if you're going to be a micro caps, you know, there's a lot more stuff you really need to dig into if you're, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be a successful micro cap investor. And, and one more point too, you know, talking about how there is just a lot of noise right now. One things that I, one of the things that I've been enjoying is one, always getting those differential insights based on maybe certain people have the same premise of what they're seeing, but then yeah. relating that to their own individual industry. Okay. Well, how does this affect us? Right. That's, that's been super interesting and kind of getting a better idea of how, you know, like, especially microcaps dealing with, you know, on the healthcare sides, cannabis, all, all these different things, because uh, they are very, very interconnected um, from that one singular premise of what's going on in the world. So in that sense, it's good to have an understanding of what's going on. But at the end of the day, you know, how does it relate to the things that you're most interested in? Right? Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah. And then taking advantage. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely think it's worth, it's worthwhile and it's worth thinking about risk. I mean, we think about a lot of risk, like in an individual stock. I mean, we think about all the time, like what could go wrong? How could this go bad? Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you still got to function and you still got to make decisions. So uh, 
I think, I think, you know, I mean, it, it's one of the negative, like with everything you said earlier, there's a trade-off, right? And with Twitter, for example, it, it's, you can find, you can get in touch with people you would have never got in touch with before. You can find great information. Um, you can find great things, but you know, if you don't go on that upper right corner and click that sort by like latest tweets instead of using their algorithm, like it can kind of mess with your mind. Right. And for sure, even without doing that, like you, it can mess with your mind because whatever reason, negative news tends to spread fast. It tends to be what sticks to people's memory. Um, so, and right now, like, I mean, and what I noticed on Twitter too, things go through cycles. Like, so it seems like a two year cycle. Like this is the popular thing, you know, and like right now, like I, I heard the term doom porn, like doom porn is really popular now and that'll be popular for two years. And then it'll go on to like, I don't know what the next thing will be. It was, you know, before it was crypto craze, you know, and then the next thing will be the next thing. Um, So you kind of, it's good to know those things. And they're, like I said, like um, Doomberg, I mean, those guys are smart. They do excellent pieces. But um, when you just read just the emails, I feel like I, I have a better understanding of the world instead of just taking all the negative out of Twitter. Like that really messes with your vision or your understanding or, you know, your conception of how the world is. Um, I mean, if you look at Twitter, you think everybody would be out in the streets punching each other in the face and spitting on each other. But <laughs> yeah, the reality is like, it's definitely good I mean, to get off Twitter for a little bit. As, as my, yeah, co- as yeah. my colleague, uh, Caitlin Cook likes to say, you know, hashtag get outside, you know, yeah, uh, that's for sure. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think overall, I mean, the world's going to be a better place in 10 years and, <laughs> We want to underwrite that for um, sure. A- Andrew, give, give us your give us your thoughts here. You know, it's time let, let's let you cook a little bit on this. Yeah, no, I was going to say I have very similar thoughts to Nick. Really, but yeah, I probably read Twitter far too much, <laughs> but I think, like he says, that there is a you know really exciting, interesting community within FinTwit, and maybe it's like a subset of FinTwit that. I think you have to be optimistic about the future of the world. And like, if you're investing in microcap stocks and you look at these individual kind of small companies and what they're doing, you know, there's a lot of exciting technology out there. You know, I'm uh, very excited about a lot of the stuff that's happening, machine learning and AI. Um, although again, there's lots of doom systems by taking over the world, but um, yeah, I think you just have to look at these small companies and you have to be optimistic when you invest in them and think, you know, that the world is going to, you know, continue on and be, you know, a better place in the future. Like, you know, again, Buffett says in his letters that, you know, the the US is much more wealthy now, but, you know, per capita than it was before. And it's, I think it's true across the world. Generally speaking, there are ups mm-hmm. and downs and volatility, but generally we're heading in the right direction. But yeah, the world is a scary place now. But if you look at snapshot in time, then the world was scary at lots of other points in time as well. But you have to kind of somehow, like Nick says, tune out that noise and, yeah, be optimistic. For sure. You know, one... one uh, kind of can jump in yeah yeah please yeah yeah i mean i think like you know trends like you talk about geopolitical trends i like i like to think about longer term trends like i mean something i've thought about a lot is you know where can i invest in 10 years um and i think you know like a market that will be very interesting is going to be like india i mean and you know can we invest in india i even you know i know right now china is very negative in the u.s but if you actually go through and you look at stuff they're doing there I think the longer term trend, like I'm not invested there really right now, but in 10 or 20 years, like, I mean, these markets I think are going to provide great opportunity and even Southeast Asia um, too. And go back, you know, 20 years ago, 
and you had the Asian financial crisis. I mean, they were not prepared for it. So far, the emerging markets seem to be handling, you know, the rise in interest rates as well as many developed markets. So, um, but you don't, you know, you, that doesn't stick in your mind. You don't hear that in the news. And I think at some point, you know, these, you got to think where, you know, where you want to invest in 10 years from now and be thinking about that and be prepared for it. So. You know, you, you, not to get in the weeds a little bit, you know, you say you're looking in Southeast Asia. Are, are, you, are you looking at India at all? I mean, I only ask because, you know, I had an amazing conversation with Gautam Bade um, a couple of weeks ago and how he's starting an India-focused fund here in the U.S. And, you know, he was making some incredibly compelling points as to why, you know, U.S. investors should look there. And sometimes I feel like it gets completely overlooked. You know, folks go to Hong Kong. Uh, Singapore, you know, Vietnam, other places around it. But, you know, have you guys been looking there at all? Because you do look globally. Yeah, I've, well, um, I've looked through India, but this was probably three years ago. I looked through, I mean, not every stock in India, but a lot, well, every small cap stock in India. I think you had the Mumbai Stock Exchange and the other one, um, Mumbai, I think also. And I, um, but then there's problems with trading in there and you'd have to set up a special fund. And there, you know, we had plenty of opportunities, so we didn't go there. Um, but I would, I mean, I could conceive of that, like, you know, sometime in the next 10 years, you'd want to set up and be able to invest there. And we would, you know, hopefully have infrastructure in place and resources where we would be making investments there. Right now, I find, you know, again, it goes to if I can make an investment and gain exposure to India through Singapore. I'm a little bit happier doing that. Um, and, you know, I haven't had a lack of ideas where we need wanted to go there. But I mean, I think absolutely, whether you go India, Southeast Asia, they have demographic trends on their side. Um, don't underestimate the power of demographics. And, you know, they're, they have a lot of young, educated people, and they're getting more educated, um, which means, you know, they're going to be the STEM you know, students um, creating engineering products. Uh, and I, I mean, long term, I think that whole region is, you know, it, it, there's going to be great things happening there. Um, and I, I think it'd be foolish to not be like, ah, man, the world's going to be a nuclear war. So I'm not even going to, I don't want to go invest there. You know, I'm just going to sure. stick with US stocks. I don't know. I mean, to me, it don't, I don't make sense. But... Absolutely. Andrew, you, you have a take? Yeah, no, again, just re reiterating what Nick was saying that, yeah, I think that's somewhere that we'd look at in the future that, yeah, setting up a new structure or you're looking at it. We've kind of, yeah, as Nick said, we we were lucky that we found a lot of, you know, good ideas in Southeast Asia. So we kind of pivoted to there at the same time that we were looking at India. So we kind of didn't need to go through that extra, those extra steps. But yeah, certainly in the future, I think, yeah, it's that kind of, they have a great legal system and, yeah, STEM students and the demographics are there so yeah it's got to be um an area you're going to look look towards in the future and i think again as nick says in the future the world could look very different in 10 20 30 years in terms of you know china and india i think absolutely yeah and i think you'll see a lot of companies um you know listing um there'll be you know the capital markets will get deeper wider um the legal structure will improve so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think again, like this goes to you know the what I talked about at the beginning. Like Buffett had advantages, and people always wish they could have went back time and been Buffett. But like, man, I got advantages. 
or we can invest in Southeast Asia or India or, you know, Buffett couldn't do those when he was starting out. So, I mean, take the good with the bad. And I think that's part of the good. Now, look, we're for our upcoming virtual event, uh, we're doing I'm doing my uh, first ever stock pitch World Cup based on this idea because of the fact that, you know, look, there's a lot of really more so microcap folks are looking everywhere. Right. Yeah. You know, Europe, Australia, you know, London, Israel, Asia, everywhere. So, you know, uh, Africa, I mean, so uh, South yeah. America. I, oh, I want to make sure I named all the continents. There's no companies incorporated on Antarctica yet. So yeah. I don't have, we don't have that right now. Right. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, look, we're, we're, we've covered a lot. I think we, we, we're, we're pretty much there. So I think, I think this is a good place to kind of close out our, our full conversation. And listen, I know, we could probably go for another two hours. I say that probably in every conversation, but we could easily go for another two hours because there's so much to talk about. But, you know, from your guys' perspective, you know, let's say there's some new investors that are looking at this, maybe even some new microcap investors listening. And, you know, what advice would you have for them in this current environment that we're existing in right now and how they can best take advantage? So, uh, Andrew, I'll start with you and then Nick, you can close this out. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's a very good question. And I think, um, again, maybe as echoes of the global financial crisis, that there's a lot of negativity and pessimism and it won't feel like it now, but these are some fantastic times to invest in stocks. Um, and like Nick does go from A through to Z, you probably find in this market and as the market continues on, if it carries on correcting, that you won't have to go that far through A to Z because there's some good positions out there. But yeah, don't listen to the noise and the negativity. Um you just like 2008, 2009 and other times in the past, this could be one of the better times to invest in. And when everything was exuberant last year and the year before, that wasn't a good time to invest. So, yeah, don't listen to the to that noise. You have to kind of be contrarian, I think. Nick? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of the same thing. Um, you know, I, I always, maybe, I always feel like, you know, when you're new to investing and I definitely had this, I guess college syndrome or whatever, you're like, Oh man, like I wish I could have been investing during that time. Right. Like I wish I could have been doing OTC stocks in the nineties and the early two thousands. I wish I could have been um, investing in, you know, 2008 or 2000, March, 2020. Like, I mean, you always feel like the best times have already passed. Um, but I think yeah now is a great time to be starting you know next year will be a great time the year after that uh it's there's a pr plenty of opportunities out there um you know they're different than they were five ten years ago and they'll be different in five or ten years from now but uh i would say you know it's a great time you can make great returns now um yeah i mean nuclear bombs might drop but who i wouldn't worry about that you can't you're not going to change that um and the world will get through the crisis coming up and you know just get out there and start looking for stocks and if you find something cheap i'd be buying it i wouldn't worry about you know if interest rates are going to go up another one and a half percent and then come back down i mean it's just you know who knows but it's a great time i know there's cheap stocks out there um and i think you know, th these opportunities will be around for years to come. Um, I always thought like, oh man, like the markets are going to get so efficient, like all this is going to go away. Um, I think things will change, but I think markets will also get bigger. I mean, capital markets will expand. Um, and I do think like, I mean, we're moving into an era, of, you know, there could be 
a little bit of capital constraint, you know, as populations age in the Western world and, um, you know, different countries put in different social programs, which will require a lot of capital. So, um, you know, the future will be different. Stocks you invest in will be different from stuff that's been successful in the past, but study the past um, and be optimistic about the future. And today is a great time to be starting. No uh, doubt about it. That's a great place to end it right there. So with that, uh, Nick, Andrew, where can everybody go and find more information about Fairlight Capital as well as to follow you on social media? So how about this? Andrew, you give us uh, the social media where people can follow us and then Nick, uh, where where people can go and uh, find you guys online. So uh, Andrew, you first. Yeah, so we're primarily on Twitter, I guess, is where we're most active. So yeah, at Fairlight underscore cap. Um, yeah, just search for, you know, Fairlight as well, and you'll see our old tweets. So yeah, um, and read what we've been writing on there. Very good. And Nick, what, what's the company's website? Yeah, uh, fairlightcapital.com. You can get it there. You know, we put some research on there. Um, disclosure, I mean, we do put stuff up there and typically we own it, but what I, you know, when I write these things, what I try to do is I try to write it. So there's ideas. Like if you read Rick, I mean, it's about Rick, but there's ideas in there that will transfer to other stocks. Um, and same thing with all these things. I try to, you know, it's not just about that stock. It's about different uh, models and that you can transfer to other things. And um, yeah, I mean, follow us, uh, visit our website. If you ever got questions, you know, feel free to reach out either on Twitter or email. Right. Very cool. All right, dudes. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next conversation. All right. Thanks yeah. a lot, Robert. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Yeah. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.